Hello, welcome to the Rogue Tours podcast. My name is Chad Durham. My name is Jacob Hampton. And we are here to uh, rank the movies of Alfonso Cuaron. Alfonso Cuaron is a Mexican director who uh, came basically uh, burst, I guess. That might be too strong, actually. Appeared on the Hollywood scene with the adaptation of A Little Princess um, in 1990. I should have wrote the years down. 1990. Three, two. It's like 95 or something. 95, thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, one, in my mind, one of the greatest family movies of all time, but we'll talk about that later. Um, and has become uh, very quickly one of my favorite directors of all time. I think I mentioned him on our Love Affair with Movies episode. And I wrote for Taste of Cinema, a website that does lists about movies for a little while. And probably my favorite thing that I did for them was I ranked the, at that time, seven movies of Alfonso Cuaron. Because I just asked and I hadn't seen them all and it was I loved it. I loved going through them all uh, I've read it again recently if you have if you have the ability and you like me and you want to go check it out You can still Google like Taste of Cinema Alfonso Cuaron and if you see the ranking it's me and besides one typo that I found which annoyed the heck out of me um, I'm very proud of what I wrote because I feel a lot of emotion with Alfonso Cuaron's movies I'm a champion for him and his movies Glad that he was able to win Best Director when he directed Gravity. Um, may, in fact, even win again this year, yeah. possibly having directed Roma, which is on Netflix. Um, and I think he's pretty relevant because he takes a long time. He makes movies that try to say something. He has uh, great technical prowess, both as a director and we can see as a cinematographer in, in Roma. He yeah. writes very simple scripts, but they are very resonant, at least uh, to me. And so I'm such a big fan of his. And we're ranking him because of Roma. Roma is on Netflix. And you've seen, if you follow us on Instagram, you've seen me say multiple things about it because I cannot believe I can watch the newest Alfonso Cuaron movie in my room, in my family room, whenever I want on Netflix uh, uh, days after it came out. Or Crazy. Whatever. Yeah. What, any thoughts about Alfonso? Yeah, just that uh, before, so pre this, um, I had only seen Gravity and Harry Potter, uh, and I mean, I guess Roma I watched the weekend it came out, uh, which I would have either way, whether or not we were going to do this ranking, but yeah. uh, anyway, I did not have experience with his other movies. You'd only so seen those two? I'd only seen Gravity and Harry no Potter. No way, mm-hmm. I, I'm sure I've before said the same no way, but I didn't yeah. realize. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm really excited to hear how you rank these. Oh, I'm good. so excited. Yeah, so, uh, <laughs> but it was just really... Uh, cool as I looked up each movie like kind of when I was watching it I didn't realize uh that he writes most of the scripts for his movies and at least or at least co-writes them which like I just uh in my mind I hadn't really thought of him as a writer an all-around auteur more just like a yeah like director you know who writes style to scripts but I just I knew he wrote Roma um but I just I didn't realize how much writing he's done in in pretty much all of his work, uh, with just a couple exceptions. So, that's really cool. So now I kind of just I respect him even more as this guy doing you know everything. Uh, yeah. To make these movies happen. And really everything when it comes to Roma. Yes. Really. Cinematography really. wrote it, directed it, and helped edit it. Crazy. Yeah, insane, and produced. Yeah. I'm one of the producers. Uh, so anyway, I just it it's been amazing. I I love yeah. him. If if uh. I would probably already call him one of my favorite directors of all time. Uh, Me too. Depending on the qualifications for that, because I would be basing that on 
the majority of his filmography, but I don't soup. I don't love every single movie. Sure. But I like most of them, and we'll yeah, get yeah. there. Oh, so. definitely. For me, I mean, I've made no secret of it. it. My two favorite directors, at least at this current moment, are Christopher Nolan and Alfonso Cuaron. And I think Alfonso Cuaron brings more artistic sensibilities. Yeah. I know that's like, I'm not slapping Nolan in the face. I love the guy. And Dunkirk was about as technically flawless as a movie can get. Mm-hmm. So he's amazing. But there's, there's, there's yeah, there's an, uh, I can't think of a better word. There's an artistic nature to what Alfonso Cuaron does, especially in his collaborations with Emmanuel Lubezki. Mm-hmm. Um, and that collaboration, I think, for the, in my entire life, will be one of the most fruitful collaborations that I think of when I think of movie making. Yeah. Just because of how much I love both of them, but love them even more when they join forces. And, uh, and, and, and I'll admit that I even had, I thought some really backhanded compliment things during Roma, like, Ooh, that was a nice shot. I wonder what Lubezki would have done with it, which is like yeah. mean, but Quaron did a great job. And yet I kept going, but what would Lubezki right. have done with Roma? I'll have a lot to say about that when I name when Roma. When we get to Roma, yeah. But uh, definitely, I think, I mean, especially his Lubezki collaborations, I feel like I could watch uh, a scene not knowing somehow and be like, oh, this is a Quaron movie, right? Yeah. But even now after Roma, I think maybe not right as quickly, but if I watched, you know, a couple scenes, I think I'd be able to identify That's his awesome. style just because it yeah. is pretty uh, distinguished and definitive. So. Yeah, he is an unequivocally a great director. Yeah. And I would use that word. And J- what Jake said is true. Like, in not every movie do I love. Oh, these are amazing movies. But there's always at least one or two things where I just go, I'm like flabbergasted by their greatness. Right. In every, in every movie, even Solo con tu pareja, which is very like small compared to what he did after it is. that. Yeah. So this is the order that it went in. He made a movie called Solo con tu pareja, which is only with your partner, kind of in reaction to like a sex education thing they were doing in Mexico, which in that, that was like the um, ad campaign. No way. Um, and it was kind of in reaction to that. It's kind of like a farcical sex comedy, but with some interesting, it's kind of dark. And, and he made that first with Lubezki. Um, right. And then their second movie, Emmanuel Lubezki got nominated for an Oscar, which was A Little Princess, um, which is a joy to watch. Um, if you've never seen it, I would say watch it right now with your family. It is a joy in all aspects, in my opinion. Um, and I show it, and when we talk about um, production design, but uh, I show plenty of other stuff when we talk about cinematography as well in my film lit class. Um, after A Little Princess, he made Great Expectations. He had made A Little Princess, and it's a literary adaptation, so they gave him another literary adaptation. He said some things about Great Expectations where he didn't like the experience, and he felt like oh. there was more input that he would have wished wasn't there. Um, at the same time, it's, there are some gorgeous things in Great Expectations. Then he made, um, without going too much into detail, what many consider to be his masterpiece, although you know there are lots of different people think lots of different Cuadron movies are his masterpiece, but that was E Tu Mama Tambien, a very adult movie about um, two horny teenagers who go, <laughs> for, for lack of a better word, I'm sorry, yeah. two horny teenagers who go on this uh, uh, cross-country car trip with... Man, I can't think of any more eloquent phrases, but with a cougar, kind of. Kind of. Um, with this older lady who's who's very secure with her sexuality. Mm-hmm. Um, and all kinds of hijinks. <laughs> 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 I 
ensues. Then he got Harry Potter, and a lot of people uh, uh, protested that when it first happened because Why? the last movie he had made was Itumama Tambien. Oh, that and so people were like, "What? Like this guy's made it?" But but other people were like, "Yo, yo, yo, go back and watch a little princess." Yeah, this right? guy That's knows that was the first movie he made without Emmanuel Lubezki, by the way, shot by a guy named David Saracen. Um, I'll talk yeah, it. yeah, but it looks Lubezki. I was gonna say for a long time, I erroneously said it was Emmanuel Lubezki Ugh. for many years, and I I know there are some people out there probably going, if you listen to this, like Durham told me that was Lubezki. I probably did. Right, it looks and like it. A it lot. looks like it. Much love to David Saracen mm-hmm. because it's really well shot. Um, uh, took some years after Harry Potter, then he made Children of Men, also a literary adaptation, just like Harry Potter and Great Expectations and True. A Little Princess. So he's been known for that, but probably some of the greatest adaptations, arguably, that have ever been made, in my opinion. Um, Children of Men, uh, which is a much-loved sci-fi classic, though awards didn't really come to it, Oscar awards, but it has lasted in in a lot of significant ways. Uh, Then Gravity, which did not win Best Picture, but did win Best Director, lost out Best Picture to uh, 12 Years a Slave by Steve McQueen. Um, and Gravity did a lot of technical stuff. Also a really tight script, an hour and a half. Some people didn't like it because of the script. I am not one of those people. I feel like the script has its own subtle power, Um, and I liked its um, freedom from any subplots, like just this propulsive forward story. And then, not since Gravity had he made a movie until Roma came out on Netflix in December. Yeah, five Um, years. Five years, yeah. And that's another thing I, I appreciate about him, which is hard as a movie lover. I wish he made more movies, but he takes a lot of time yeah. to make sure he really thinks through all the things that are happening. Because I guess Children of Men to Gravity was seven years, right? So yeah, it's, or something like that. I have yeah. it up over here. So, uh, um, uh, yeah, seven years, nicely Sad done. to think, well, it's now probably another It might be way, another but, five, six years yeah. before we have an Alfonso Cuaron movie. So that is, he has eight movies, um, and we're going to rank them eight to one. Um, I like the complexity of his films. I like his personality. He, I'm sure he's an auteur on the set, but he's kind of an affable guy besides that. Doesn't seem to have too much of a, like a, an arrogance about himself. And I know filmmakers have to have some arrogance. I know that, and I think it's true of most. But he, when he got, like he was on Fallon the other day and he was funny and he was like laid back and lighthearted, uh, but still able to kind of talk about some of the incredible shots he came up with on Roma, like the one where she goes into the water, which oh Spike God, Lee gosh. in the round table goes, I got to ask you, how did you do that? Uh-huh. Which I thought was hilarious. And he kind of explained they like built this pier oh my gosh. so they could like dolly the camera out there. Yeah. What, that might not be the correct term, apologies, but they built this pier so it could kind of go out into the water. She doesn't know how to swim, according to Alfonso. Oh, Cuaron. for real. I don't mean to go too far into gravity. I mean into Roma. We're not even uh-huh. there yet, but um, she doesn't know how to swim. Wow. That was my favorite scene. Just Amazing. just the way that it played, the way it was shot, the emotion behind it, I thought was pretty great. So we're going to go eight to one. Um, and it, I, I'll be honest, if, you've, if you are listening and you haven't read my Taste of Cinema list, don't read it yet. Because it is the same with the exception of Roma being inserted where I inserted it. Okay. Nothing else changed. So I'll start with my Let's eight. Let's do it. And we, we kind of do what we'll do. We'll go back and forth. Sometimes we might jump in if it's the same movie, even if it's not the order we were originally going in. And if you've never seen any Alfonso Cuaron movies, like, please, please, please do. If you've never listened to us ever before, but you know us as people and you're just like, I listen to their podcast to support them, please go find some Alfonso mm-hmm. Cuaron movies, whichever one catches your eye or your ear or your heart when we talk about them. Although I'm sure most of you have seen Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. Yeah. I just, that just now came to me, which for my money has always been and always will be the best Harry Potter yeah. movie that has ever been made. Mm-hmm. Okay, my number eight is uh, Great Expectations. 
Great Expectations was third film, one of his four literary adaptations. Not a bad film. Similar aesthetically to A Little Princess. Ultimately, it feels like much less than the sum of its parts to me. The screenplay is just okay. Ethan Hawke and, and, and um, uh, Gwyneth Paltrow are, are good, but they're not great. Yeah. Uh, the production design is great. There's some um, wonderful shots. But sometimes it feels like, to me, it's the least professional looking of his stuff. Yeah. Even compared to Solo con tu pareja, which is the first movie that I he know. made. It's weird sometimes where it's like TV movie quality in some shots. It's like, but other shots are like mind-blowingly good. Uh, mind-blowingly good might be too strong, but they're very good. And yeah. There's some gorgeous stuff in it. And then other times you're like, what happened here? Which is why when you listen to him talk about it, it makes sense. He's like... I didn't get to do what I wanted and there was too much, you know, pressure and stuff. Mm -hmm. It was the worst studio experience according to what he has said in interviews. So that's my number eight. Don't have too much to say. I'll tag along because my number eight is Great Expectations, which, uh, again, I didn't dislike, but there's just, it has none of the appeal of some of these other movies. Uh, Like Chad was saying, it feels kind of cheap and just like... Sometimes. Weirdly and so just bland. I mean, and it's it wears its nineties on its sleeve, yeah. and probably for the worst in this case. So, I I don't want to spend too much time on it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, like I would say, see it if you're doing the whole Quaron career. Yeah. Because it's it's worth seeing to see what he did, but at the same time, like it does feel like a step back from his first two movies, which is kind of weird, because there's yeah. there's a there's like a real verve to Solo con tu pareja. And then there's there's a incredible control and a little princess knowing exactly what movie they wanted to make. And Great Expectations has neither one of those things. Yeah, quality wise, you would think it's his first one. But you would. Not. Yep, and that's why we have it eight. Mm-hmm. So what's your oh, seven? So now I go yeah, to seven. Go to seven. So my seven is Solo con tu pareja, uh, which really surprised me because I just I mean. So, I, I speak Spanish anyway. Uh, oh, I forgot. And so, and knowing awesome. what these titles meant, but because they are longer titles and in Spanish, I and I had no idea what either was about, they were kind of the same movie to me in my brain, uh, which is funny you now that I've done... Tambien and... Sorry, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Which Just is funny, sure. funny now, because I realize how fewer people have seen... Yeah, uh, like nobody's seen no one's seen Solo Kuntu Pareja. Yeah. It's on Netflix, though. That's how I watched it. Yeah. So. Oh, no way. Yeah. It wasn't. Almost, when, I, when I wanted to get it, it wasn't. Yeah, we almost all his longer. works on Netflix. No uh, Go great. watch them, guys. Go watch them. Yeah. Um, and so, I, I, first of all, I was surprised by how funny it was. After about yeah, 10 or 15 funny. minutes, I like looked up just what it's classified as, because I just, knowing his other work, I assumed it would be a drama. And then I was like, well, this is pretty lighthearted. I'm just curious. But and darkly I, comic sometimes, yeah. right? With AIDS being very involved, much, yeah. or HIV. But everywhere, all the sites are like comedy, and I'm like, oh, okay, that's kind of like helps me reframe what I'm seeing here, which I, I was enjoying it either way, but uh, it's great, honestly. I really liked it a lot. Yeah. It's, Even uh, though we have it at seven, it's fun. Yeah. I have it at seven, too. Oh, sorry. Oh, great. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, whatever. I know I hadn't said that yet, but I was in my mind, like, oh, yeah, I have it at seven, yeah. too. I have written in my notes, like, a bleak screwball comedy. Screwball yeah. comedy. There's some... Some parts where he's jumping from one window to it's the other. It's so that are, like sitcom-y, but yeah, it works. It really uh, does. The guy does a great job. Uh, Daniel Jimenez Cacho, who also is the narrator in Itu Mama Tambien, yeah, yeah. which you probably knew. I found that out. So, uh, yeah, it it. I do wonder. It's interesting to know it was made as a like. Campaign. Just kind of like a, like as a react, not a react. I shouldn't even Reaction. say that, but like okay, the, it was positioned as like we're gonna we're gonna poke a little fun at this. Okay. This kind of campaign. Right. 
And it wasn't like poke fun like at you be, you know being responsible sexually. Yeah. But poke a little fun I guess at the, like, the campaign which I haven't seen or anything. This no. was in the 90s. But like 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 I wrote here it doesn't condemn the main character's womanizing ways but it also is not a celebration of promiscuity in any way shape or form. Yeah. You know? At least that's how I felt. Yeah, no, I kind of caustic sometimes. Kind of what? Felt like caustic. Oh yeah, like hard edged. Uh huh. Um, and I don't know that, it, especially f- for like a mainstream American audience today, I don't think the same story could be made. No. Uh, but you could see someone wanting to remake. Oh, that's the movie Quaron made with Lubezki uh, in the early nineties. Let's make a an American version. I was thinking it would work. It wouldn't work, and it'd probably be considered insensitive now. But yeah, there's something really foreign feeling about it, mm-hmm. which allows it to work. Yeah, and so uh, I I really enjoyed it. It's yeah, a, I was so glad time. I got to watch it. Yeah, I agree with you on that 100%. By the way, just wanted to mention Lubeski, especially as a first-time director of photography, like, can already see his keen eye for lighting, especially, and composition. Yeah. Like, it's not... I think it was a big step up to A Little Princess, even though A Little Princess is not, by far, not his best shot movie or anything, but he got an Oscar nomination. He hadn't done much director of photography. I know that's not how you say that. <laughs> He hadn't been the cinematographer very often. Yeah. But you see here, like, the foundation for what Lubeski's going to become, even though it's this kind of sitcom kind of screwball thing. But, like, he adds a darkness to it and gives you some of the, the, the symbolic stuff that you need with his camera work, which I think is pretty cool. Yeah. Especially early on. Okay. All right. Well, thus far, you know, and Jake and I have had times when we've been very close in our rankings, but I guess we'll see. I'm sure they'll depart at some point, right? Depart because you know where my number one is. Yeah. Uh, But my number six, not knowing what Jake's is, my number six is a little princess. Me too. And I (laughs) and I and I do think it is one of the most beloved family films of all time. And I know a lot of people. Every time I bring it up, I shouldn't say every time. The majority of the time I bring it up around people who have seen it, they're always like, "Oh man, I love that movie." My students who, if they've seen it, like, oh, man, my family loves that movie. And to do something, I think, that that, that has that kind of reach. It has a really good score. Uh, Lubezki's great with what he does. Uh, and then, like, it's so green. That's what I use it for in my film lit class. Uh, in, in 1996, when Alfonso Cuaron was getting interviewed on the set of Great Expectations, he said, green is the only color I understand. I see other colors and they feel alien. Now, is that true anymore? No, he's branched out. But if you watch A Little Princess focusing on the color green, like it is amazing what they did with one color, mm. the tones that, that they found within it. And then they contrast that with her world in India that's very like creamy and, and beige and orange. And you get, and then this cold green world that she has uh, when she goes and lives in this like boarding, boarding school kind of. Um, it, it is very, fairly black and white. They did take a huge liberty with the book, which I just finally read last year. And they're like, they change like one of the most fundamental things about the book, which is kind of interesting. Um, the fate of the father is very different oh. in, in the novel by Francis, Francis Hodgson Burnett, excuse me. Um, and the, the girl in it, she's only been in three movies, she disappeared. Oh. But it's a, a, a testament to what Quaron does with actors and actresses. He gets great performances out of them. And Lisa Matthews is fantastic in it, I think. Yeah. Just really, really has to kind of command commands too strong she really has to be the anchor of the movie and I think she does that in a really interesting way um, I weep every single time I watch A Little Princess when the climax happens nice. I mean it's old I don't want to be spoiler but I'm hoping you watch some of these so I'm going to refrain from going too deep into some spoilers so yeah six so, is something to add there yeah just that I uh, 
if you didn't hear me, this is my number six, too. Um, I uh, had never really heard of this. I'm sure you've mentioned it before because it's a Quaron movie, but yeah. just, like, I don't register movies until I see them, really. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so, uh, it's just, like, never been on my radar at all. So, it's interesting to hear, like, you have students that, like, grew up on it or whatever, because yeah. I just... It's... My sister grew up on it in okay. a really hardcore way. Shout out, Krista, again. Uh, so, this was my just total first experience with it. And uh, I recognize that it's much better than the average... Family, family movie film. on a filmmaking yeah. level yeah uh but just story-wise i probably watched it at the wrong time and i had kind of a hard time getting into it and so honestly i should rewatch it and give it a better chance but whatever it's your number six too and you love yeah it, so. it's my number six too because this oh so we talked about this a little bit before we started we recorded a, a jason reitman podcast episode a couple weeks ago that we lost to the ether and so we did very very short half-aced versions of what we uh, our ranking of Jason Reitman movies. But when we are actually recording the stuff that you'll never hear, um, we talked about how there was a clear delineation or we felt like there was. And I I don't have that for Alfonso Cuarón. Oh. I don't have a clear delineation. Like, I mean, I guess there's a clear delineation for me in the ones I consider great. But even that will change over the years. Like, for me, it's a gradation that goes... But the ones that I have great fondness for start with here at number six. Okay. Because I, I love A Little Princess and have watched it for many years, shown it to my kids. They've seen it multiple times. And g- like going back in time to my fledgling movie love or whatever, um, and now I kind of look back, I'm like, man, li- like you said, the average family film just doesn't have the filmmaking savvy that A Little yeah. Princess has, which is why Great Expectations is so weird mm-hmm. coming after this. But um, yeah, yeah, it's my six too. Um, but yeah, the score, I, I wrote down Patrick Doyle, who did the score, um, is gorgeous. Uh, we have it on, on, on CD. Yeah. And I put in the hands of a less gifted or less subtle filmmaker, it could have been like annoying this movie. I feel like, and and he was able to dial things back. And I know there are some bombastic moments, but he dials most of it back. And sometimes when like the first shot of the villainess in it is super like over the top, uh-huh. but in a way that feels very like knowing and winking at the audience with Lubeski having some fun with this <laughs> kind of, uh, you know, moving in this close up. I, I, I just have, yeah, it, 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 it is such a charming movie. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, here's where I jump. So from five onward, I'm at, I don't want to, I guess use hyperbole, but like pretty much perfection from, for so me good. from here on. Yeah. So well, let's hear who's, your five. Are we on five then? I don't okay. know who's going, but you go. So my number five is Roma. Oh, nice. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Which I mean, and we're it's just like barely divided. Oh, five for sure. One here. For I sure. love all these movies. Uh, yeah, Roma. How cool of Netflix. I mean, not to just like praise corporate whatever, but like, <laughs> I mean, just like cool that they you know just gave him that they're not concerned with like uh, controlling what directors do that they clearly this is just purely him doing his passionate thing and like it's amazing because of it uh so personal yeah and uh, and one of those things that almost feels like it could shut you out because it's so personal Mm -hmm. but it doesn't no it invites you in yeah and uh so the black and white works great for me uh the and here's where I also in my list, I mean, both of our lists, I think we now jump to a very uh, distinctive style, right? Yeah. Where uh, we have all his movies pretty much have these long takes. 
um, that are just incredible. I love how slow and patient uh, Roma is. Especially in Roma, man. Mm -hmm. Those takes where there's walking and we see what's going on and he fills the frame with so many people. Yeah, exactly. Which is why I understand why he didn't do this one with Lubezki just because, especially Lubezki's modern style in the last like 10 years or so, or even whatever, since like Itama Matamian probably, uh, which has been almost 20 years. Oh my gosh, I think that one's 2001. So I mean, that's crazy. Anyway, but Lubeski, I feel, is uh, so, like, floaty, and I love it, but uh, I think the very, the stillness of Roma really contributes to how it feels. Yeah. And there's totally Agreed. another, uh, an alternate version of Roma I can picture with Lubeski's style. Yeah, but that's just a different feeling movie. Yeah. Better exactly. or worse, I'm, I would never pass that judgment, right. personally. Yeah, it would, and it would be fascinating to see. How I it know. Went, right? But... I do love the decision he made to do this one on his own just because of how it turned out. And, uh, man, what a... It'll be interesting to see, especially if it wins Best Picture, just, like... And because people have such easy access to it, because so almost... Anyone could watch it the night of the Oscars immediately Mm -hmm. if they have Netflix, which is almost... Yeah, but I can... And I always hesitate to sound like I'm descending into snob territory too much, or, like, I think the average moviegoer is, you know bad <laughs> but just i can imagine you know if this gets tons of uh easily uh seen acclaim at something like the oscars people going to watch this and being like that was the most boring movie i've ever seen right which yeah. i would understand why if you're not into yes this type of slow thing yeah but i loved it uh, i love how he lets you take the time to get to know the family um the, the screenplay is really great i love uh how uh in all of these movies really he never uh Except you, whatever. He just lets you slowly piece things together, which which I love. You know, who are the people to each other, and uh, you know, why are we seeing what we're seeing? So awesome! Yeah. From the first shot of the, yeah. <laughs> I was just like sitting there with the washing happening on uh-huh. the thing, and I was just like, oh man. I watched the first eight minutes once on my own before I then watched the whole thing with my wife, and I was just sitting in the still house on my phone watching that opening shot, yeah. and just like, oh Alfonso, so I love you. Um, and Aroma is not my five, but I just wanted to say there's a great thread on Guillermo del Toro's Twitter feed, if you are on Twitter, where he talks about 10 things he loved about Roma. Oh, cool. Which is really pretty cool. And one of the things he said is that they built almost all of Mexico City on a back lot. No way. Which I had no freaking idea. What? Yeah. Or all, in the movie, they built a lot of what you see. I, I, he doesn't say how much. He just says they built Mexico but City on a back lot. Yeah, I totally a lot of they it were is just sets. in real streets. Yeah, huh. I know it's it's amazing. And and just I already said this, but the way he packed frames in this, the composition, I was mm. in love with. There was such a realism to this movie that the stillness contributed to. Yeah, that and I, I mean I'll, I'll basically end up getting out all I'm going to say later, but um, when I hit it. Yeah. But yeah, just wanted to piggyback a little bit. My number five. Harry Potter and the Prisoner of oh, Azkaban. Really? Yeah, which I love, That's Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. That's way lower than I thought. Interesting. Well, at this point, we're dealing with... I know, we're in you know the section. Y- yeah, yeah. I mean, you just said the same mm-hmm. thing, and mine already included a little princess, you right. know what I mean? So, um, Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. I, uh, I don't care what movies they make in the um, Fantastic Beasts. I don't care if somebody comes and remakes Harry Potter later, or if they, you know, if I ever see the play on stage. I, when I saw Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, I had, you know, kind of become a big fan of movies and stuff, and I was very disappointed in the first two, no, no offense to Christopher Columbus, 
who who very much made a book on tape that's what i like to say yeah. like put put it right on the screen oh, yeah. and from the opening moments of prisoner of azkaban i was like oh, we're making a freaking movie now mm-hmm. uh, there's such a style to it um, and and shout out to david saracen who was the actual director of photography not emmanuel Lebesky, like i erroneously <laughs> said for many yeah. years um, there's a darker aesthetic to it um, there are these long takes, like it was like, no, let's treat Harry Potter like, it is the pivot movie from, it's a kid, it's kid series to an adult series. Mm-hmm. It's in between four felt to a lot of people, four was the adult one to a lot of people. The first two are very, I know there's some like genuinely scary climaxes in the first two, but they're, but it's live. They're and so whimsical. And it's, yeah. Good word. They're very whimsical. And three has some of those whimsical moments, which Quaron handles deftly. I feel yeah. like. But then, you know, uh, really changes to a more adult type of type of thing and got amazing performances from Gary Oldman. And David Thewlis is fantastic. Abandoned the, you know, uh, robes that they had to wear and was just like, screw it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and moved Hagrid's house. And I, I truly think it's partially so they have to travel along the green grass. I really do think that to get there so we can have these long shots. Oh, see, so where, I didn't even really notice that he changed the geography. Of, of Hagrid's. Well, it's because a lot of my friends are like, I can't believe he changed uh-huh. the geography. Like, first of all, who cares? Yeah. And second of all, go watch the shots where they travel to Hagrid's house. Mm-hmm. It's gorgeous. And it just gives the movie, I know I already said it, but it's a movie now. It's yeah. a film to be snobby for a minute instead of I'm adapting these books, which he does. They're adaptions. Or adaptations, pardon me. But um, with so much more and, and the way he ends the movie, the Buckbeak scenes are fantastic. And then he ends the movie with something that happens actually much earlier in the book and gives you this kind of incredibly exciting moment at the end where he's on the broom and then it just freezes. <laughs> and I was like, what a savvy way to end this movie that's been kind of dark and kind of built that. But then also let's send these kids out with this really, this rush. Yeah. I love, I love Prisoner of Azkaban. Okay. It's, he, does, he does such great adaptations, which is why, again... Great Expectations is so weird. It is. Because all the other ones are, are pretty amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I wish I could have, if I had been an adult and into film, it would have been fascinating to be taking the journey of, like, if I'd been an adult who had seen E2 Mama Tambien for some reason, you know, yeah. in 2001, and then to hear, like, oh, this guy's now going to make the next Harry Potter, <laughs> like... That would have been awesome. Yes. And now knowing... There was backlash, for real. There yeah. was backlash. I remember reading it, and I was old enough... Now, I hadn't seen any Chumama Tamien, mm-hmm. but I was old enough to understand. And first of all, I was like, who cares? Like, this is the guy who made a little princess. Yeah. Like, we'll be okay. Right. You know? And I was excited they were picking a filmmaker as opposed to somebody who would, like, just put what was on the page on the screen. You know? <laughs> scene by scene. Yeah. Um, cool. So what do we do now? You're... I, I guess I'll do my four if your four is not Harry Potter. Because it's, it's not, right? Because I feel you, like you would have jumped in. Okay, my number four. And um, I will be honest and say right away that this probably has something to do with the fact that, you know, my, my growing up was more naive. And I, cause I know that this one is, is super well-respected in the annals of Alfonso Cuaron. But my number four is E Tu Mama Tambien. Um, very critically acclaimed for the unflinching depiction of sexuality, for the cinematography, which is fantastic. Mm-hmm. The documentary style that they, that they use. Um, it got a Best Screenplay Oscar nomination, which uh, I oh, only I remember that. from my notes. Best Original Screenplay Oscar nomination. Um, 
the, the, this is what was the biggest thing to me. The command of character in the movie is just amazing. Like, the understanding of who these two characters are, of who she is, the then depiction of that through... I mean, it's, if, if you don't know, uh, it's very graphic in yeah. its depiction of sexuality. Although when I finally saw it, less graphic than I expected, but it's still very graphic. Still, it's depic- oh yeah, 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 guys, like, don't don't mistake me. Yeah, if you're out there listening and like, oh, uh, chat said go ahead and watch it. That's not what I'm saying. If you some of you out there might have certain you know levels of content restrictions and stuff, and you don't want to go past, and I'm not saying to. But I had built up in my mind before I finally saw it. It was just recently that I saw it. You know, in the last couple of years, a a even stronger graphic version of of what was seen there. And I'm not at all saying, oh, it's tasteful or anything. There's a lot of sexual content that is unflinching completely. Um, But the way that the character translates into those scenes, the way that those scenes have more gravity than just, you know, if you were watching some sort of like, you know, bro comedy that was meant to just have like nudity in it to titillate the audience like that you never get a sense that that's what's going on. And in fact, some, shoot, that was a pun that I wanted to avoid. Some, oh, that's a pun too. A lot of these words come from, <laughs> all right, it doesn't matter. A lot of the climactic moments, <laughs> a lot of the climactic moments are, are within some of these scenes. Yeah. But, but the payoff is as, as emotional or as thoughtful or as complex as you would see if it, it, you know, if it was taken somewhere else, yeah. you know, outside of these, these sexual moments, if yeah. that makes sense. But at the same time, for me, as somebody who maybe grew up a little naive about such things, even though I'm much older now and, and less naive, I think there was a part of me that like still felt a little bit of distance mm-hmm. from some of these scenes, which is why like I know a lot of people, even when I wrote for Taste of Cinema, I had this at number three because I haven't gotten to Roma yet. Uh, Roma's one of my top three, right? And um, there, people took me to task in the comments that Itumama Tambien wasn't number one. But other oh, really? people agreed mm-hmm. with whatever I had coming yeah. up. Um, so anyway, that's my take. Let me just see if there's anything else I wanted to say. The narration, I didn't like at the beginning. And then by the end, I loved how relevant it became, at yeah. least to me, to the movie's overall themes. And one thing I like about Alfonso Cuaron is he doesn't seem concerned with making overly political statements. And yet, like in Roma and this, he allows the politics to be a part of what's mm-hmm. going on in the backdrop and a, and a part of the tapestry that he's weaving, mm-hmm. if you will. But they don't ever overtake, which I'm super into. Yeah. Uh, so that's my number four, Itumama Tamiyan. So it's also my number four. Nice. Um, so I guess I could have jumped in sooner, but... No, you're good. Yeah, no, but agreed that... And, and not using it as a criticism because I'm the most, like, I'll watch anything person in the world. Yeah. Uh, but I was also just kind of like, wow. Like, it's a lot. And I, I mean, part of it, and I don't even, I'm like, I feel like there's not even that much we can discuss about this movie within our normal content. Yeah, yeah, we're trying not so. to be, and we're not going to go into too much detail. But yes, it is very, very, very... Um, true to yeah. <laughs> anything that would take place in... Uh, sexual situation. Right. And it just, I, and I mean, I think what, for me, what made it all feel much grittier is the fact that it's two teenagers. Yes. You know, and so it's kind of the same as, which, so, and I love this movie. I also love Call Me By Your Name, but I had the same thing of like, I do wonder why, I, I mean, I know they're making the characters the ages they are on purpose, and it's probably supposed to make me 
uncomfortable. Feels slightly but it's like uncomfortable. Just yeah. weird. And so, but again, I would I would argue not argue with you, but mm-hmm. kind of counter to that idea. Mm-hmm. That same with solo con tu pareja, there is an element of the fact that it's foreign that we forgive some of that. And I'm not saying that should be true it's or it true. shouldn't be true. But it's like, we're like, oh, that's not like, we're a little stricter, we're a little more buttoned up in yeah. the US. And so, but so a foreign film, like, I felt less uncomfortable because it's like, well, it's, you know. It's true. It's foreign, which, is, mean, which doesn't make any sense. I'm not even defending it. But it's like, it allows for a longer leash. It's true. And, and without getting too technical anyway, age of, age of consent varies by country anyway. Right, so it's yeah. just like, but I think that's definitely just like a weird thing on my mind. For sure, for sure. Oh yeah, so, oh yeah. Uh, 100%. 100%. <laughs> okay. uh, but I love the movie. I love, I love seeing, um, especially, you know, with knowing Quaron's style um, and just comparing it to something like which both of these came after, but like Gravity or Children of Men, where his his unique style is applied to these, you know, grand or sci-fi-ish situations, seeing that same camera work um, and direction applied to a grounded story, yeah. um, which I just really loved. Uh, yes, yeah, so, a really high on the list of Lubeski cinematography to me. There's some, there's some great stuff in it. Yeah. Not as showy, but gorgeous and more more kind of organic to what's going on mm-hmm. and in all these movies that's my five through one especially it's just like constantly i would have these moments where it's just suddenly like oh man this has already been like a three minute long take hasn't it and then it just keeps going <laughs> and so so amazing i mean just i i'm long takes are like my go-to of just thing like what that stand out to me in a uh, direction where i'm like just the choreography the acting ability all of those factors working together that it takes to pull these things off yeah. and just make it seem effortless to the point where I don't always even notice until it's halfway through it. It is amazing. So, nice. uh, yeah, loved the movie. Uh, story wise and character wise, the ending's very uh, interesting. Yeah. Um, and really so... surprising and but also at the same time kind of true. But then it's like, then it just kind of drops off and yeah. just gives you this kind of tag and it feels very real life. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, I guess I should have just said lifelike, but there's a weird realism to it where you're like, no, this is a movie. Don't give me that super real version yeah. of what happened, which makes it feel very documentary-like again. Yeah. Really mm-hmm. fascinating story, especially knowing that Alfonso wrote it, uh, just like, I think with his... I think with somebody. somebody. I think there's a co-writer, I'm pretty sure. But, uh, yeah, and because I am, uh, I don't know, it makes me want to rewatch the movie, having seen the ending... Just because I, I'm already someone who's generally very, probably more on alert than the average person as to like characters' sexualities in, yeah. in movies, and I just did not see the ending coming at all. Right, so it was right. really uh, just fascinating character work, but yeah. in a very gritty sexual way. Yeah, so, yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure. If that's your sensibility, if that's something you, it's so worth watching and talking about. And if not, you're going to get to see the full Quaron experience in, in any of the other movies. Yeah, that's true. Except Great Expectations. <laughs> so what's, what's yeah, your number moving three? moving on. Uh, <laughs> so my number three is Children of Men. Mm-hmm. Uh, my heart hurts, but we, I'm just I, <laughs> I kid, I kid. Uh, man, I finally, I saw it. Yay! I'm glad we did this. Podcast so that, is over. See you guys. Yeah. Jake saw Children of Men. I've meant to for so long. Chad mentions it all the time. What? And I've Blast it's just me. like always been there. There's never been anything stopping me from watching it. 
I just haven't done it, and then I finally did, and uh, boy was I blown yeah, away. Yeah, what can you say about it? Like, I'm, I'm just gonna shut up. I'm not gonna say anything. Okay. I'm gonna let you talk for a while. I, I promise. I'm not gonna Kanye it. Um. So, I mean, and this goes with uh, Mama Tambien as well. But just like it almost blew me away just to see this uh directorial style. I mean, it's twelve years, which is like kind of a long time. Just I think of this whole just like you know. Uh, floaty Lubeski camera doing these insane long takes like as I think of that as such a modern like recent thing I guess but it just was cool to see it in a 2006 movie um, and uh, and I know I guess it's a literary adaptation right so he didn't necessarily I hear it's loose though have you read the book I haven't but I've also heard it's loose I've heard it's loose so I'll still maybe give uh, I, I didn't look if Alfonso adapted it himself but he's one of the credited screenwriters okay um, I just loved how simple it was. I love a, a sci-fi or dystopian movie, whatever you want to call it, but some kind of high-concept movie like this that does not spend all this time explaining every detail of why the situation is what it is, yeah. right? Um, and unless I missed something, like, they never really truly explain why people can't have kids anymore, right? Which I loved. I, I'm just, like, I'm, I'm pro, like, we don't need to know. What we want to know is how it's affecting these people. And so the movie sticks to that beautifully. Um, Julianne Moore, great, while she's... <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, I've seen that scene with all of its spoilers, and I, but I just couldn't remember... Who? There's a scene, whatever. Okay. It's fine. It's fine. It's old. It's old. Skip if you don't want to be spoiled. But uh, I had seen, I knew someone died during that car chase, but I couldn't remember who. And then it, leading up, I was like, wait, is it Julianne? And crazy. Um, but again, just the constant long takes. And with something like this, where you're having, you know, people in every corner shooting guns and like uh, crazy things happening. And it's all in a world where your your audience, uh, you know, as a director, your audience is going to be trying to take everything in and figure out what this world is. So there's that extra element of, you know, deciding what to include in the background with extras and things like that. It's just, it's stunning. And the, the climax was amazing. Um, I, I didn't know what to expect as far as just like arc-wise, uh, who we were going to end up with by the end, but I loved the way that it did end, and it on it surprised me how, when I checked to see how much of the movie was left, how little there was, and it surprised me that it ended where it did. Not in, like, a, huh, I don't get it way, but just in, like, a, oh, I, I didn't realize we were going to calm down so quickly, and I'm, I'm glad we did, and that you're leaving me here to, like, process what I just saw. But amazing, all around. Nice, yeah, I'll say a lot more I know you. shortly. But I'm glad now I'll actually have something to associate with yeah, all of your no i'm really glad it, so. i i i think i stayed true to letting him talk there i was, think, <laughs> I was thinking a lot of thoughts um and again you know friends of the podcast who are you know nicely listened to a lot of our episodes know i mention it all the time too much but it just comes up it's such a part of m- my person my like background as a movie lover um and so i'll say more about it later my number three is roma Nice. And I don't, I don't have a ton to add, and not in a bad way. I thought Jake covered a lot of it, um, the stillness. I mentioned, like, there are a couple scenes. There's one in a hospital. There's one in, a, like, a department store that I just thought were so expertly conceived while also being very important to what's going on. And then a scene in the water at the end um, that is just emotional and thoughtful. And then it has, like, they, some people get out of the water, and then, like, like the kids don't even realize quite 
what an ordeal it was. Yeah. And, and there's just such realism. And, and here's the thing is this is pretty high for me because when I was watching, I was thinking like, ah, I don't know, like, you know, like there's, there's a slowness, but sometimes I feel like maybe we're not revealing enough. But in the end, it was just so true to life not even necessarily in a documentary way, but just in a way of like, let me observe the human condition yeah. that I was just so into. And, you know, there are just really Yelitsa Aparicio, who plays the main character. She's, she carries the movie. She's in it so much. It's about her relationship to like this family, which is based loosely on Alfonso Cuaron's family. And there's actually a reference to a nanny in Itumama Tambien. I don't know if you noticed that. What? Yeah, yeah, he's like sitting. I just saw this online. I was like, oh, yeah. And he's like sitting and he's like, he thought of his maid who he had called mom until he was five and stuff. Oh. And I assume it was Alfonso putting in a small, mm. Quaron putting in a small little autobiographical thing there for a minute, yeah. like a little signature there just for a second. And that tiny, tiny thing then becomes Roma, which I thought was interesting. Yeah. Not that they're supposed to be related. That's not what I mean. No, but it's cool. But that this, this kernel of truth he had thrown in as, as a character thing for Tanakh, I think is the, the one kid's name, mm -hmm. and, and became ended up becoming Roma. Um, there are so many little truths in Roma that just kind of add up to, and, and, and for me, like there's a separation here and I know I said there wasn't, and there's not, but like I have such esteem for the other two that I'm about to talk to and uh, talk about in a minute. Roma is a different kind of movie. Like I never got fully emotional. I didn't cry a lot and I didn't necessarily find perfect parallels to me, but I just loved the let me give you a window to these lives let you take from these lives what you want to take yeah. and there will be moments that are kind of big and there will be devastating moments there's one that i won't say too much about that's just that devastating is, that so like much. right now i'm almost getting emotional just thinking about it even yeah. though i didn't cry while i watched it like Same. right now i'm feeling more but of i it. felt like a almost like a sick sadness yeah which is but like that's praise for the movie. Yes, yes, yes. And I just loved the way, and I'm borrowing some verbiage from other critics, but that the way that like these small moments all added up to something that, that ended up meaning more, and he never, ever, ever tells you what to think or judges these people in the way you expect in a movie. At least yeah. that's how I felt. And so it, it, it crept up to number three. I, was, I cons nice. considered it in a lot of different places. Um, and and I think as as a culmination of all that he does well... And as uh, him as a co-editor and cinematographer, it just for me deserved to be up there as him kind of like uh, taking all the things he's learned and then making his most personal movie that he's ever yeah. made. Yeah, ended up number three for me. And I love, this is outside the movie and maybe not Poirot's decision, but it seems like it would be since he did everything else on the movie. But I love that the uh, image of them huddled on the beach is being used as the like poster or yeah. just like promotional image yeah, for it. Yeah, on Netflix and which, everything. Yeah. honestly, I think, if I'm being honest, probably impacted my perception of that scene a little bit and like kind of uh, my perception of the theme of the movie as a whole, which I liked. Uh, I liked that it kind of helped me along that way. Yeah. And just kind of taking in what I think he wanted me to get out of it. Yeah. So it's very cool. I guess I'll do, I think I'm on two, two? Right? Okay. Now I'm doing the across thing. Um, my number two, not surprisingly, is Gravity. Um, Gravity um, was one of my favorite experiences at a movie theater ever. It's up, it's oh, yeah. up near the very top. Uh, the only movie I've ever seen in 3D that I enjoyed in a theater. Yeah. Um, the only time I felt like it uh, enhanced the experience, the theatrical experience for me ever. Like you get this sense that you're in space. 
I show the opening in Filmlit that first 13, 12 minutes or whatever without a cut and to me still one of the most astounding sequences because there's a subtlety to it at the same time as it's being showy as all get out. Mm. But there's a subtlety. So no, no, this is just the way to tell this story. The camera moves in that scene with a freedom that you rarely see a camera move with ever. Right. It feels like nothing is telling it to move in a certain way. That is just yeah. kind of floating there. And I am astounded by it. Now, people who, who knock on gravity a little bit and say, this is why it didn't win Best Picture or whatever, knock on the script. And I happen to like the propulsive nature of the script, the single-minded focus of the script. Mm -hmm. And in fact, I just read something about how uh, Alfonso Cuaron was, was told at the end to like add more so you would know more about someone was coming to save her or whatever at the end. And he said no. Good. He was like, no, like she's there, she stands up, we're good. Like that's what we need. Yeah, that's what this that's movie's about. It. Come on. Uh, I think it has a. I am angry all the time when I think that Sandra Bullock won an Oscar for The Blind Side and didn't win an Oscar for Gravity because Same. it's so backwards to me. Now I know other people were worthy the year she didn't win for Gravity, but The Blind Side's kind of stunt performance, and I love Sandra Bullock. And I think she's fine in The Blind Side, but it's it's like very much like a, a caricature type of performance. And Gravity is so true and real and, and um, subtle. And they had to do it like in this weird box that Lubeski built to simulate space. And George Clooney, again, for my money, his most underrated performance, because he's not in it that much, but he is so important to what the movie's doing. Mm. And the scene where he shows back up you know, not to say too much, but mm. the scene where he shows back up. I'm so excited to show this to my kids. I haven't yet. And I'm just like, like, I, I feel like I'll give them a talk beforehand. Like, you need to understand that they like advanced movie making with the technical aspects <laughs> of this movie, you know. And the sound design when I saw it in the theaters, it was the first time that I was like actively noticing sound design. And mm -hmm. I've been going to movies forever. But like understanding the way they were varying the levels yeah. and giving me the sense that I'm hearing it and the and stuff. I was like, this movie is technically perfect. Mm -hmm. Like, holy crap. But then you couple that with Sandra Bullock, George Clooney, and this kind of like uh, understated, un, uh, uh, underneath um, story of her and her kid and like what she's missing at home and stuff like yeah. that. Um, that I just thought, again, he's never going to push you, Alfonso Cuaron, like especially now. Like there's some pushing in Great Expectations. There's some pushing in A Little Princess. Yeah. But in the modern era of Alfonso Cuaron, he's right. not going to push you. He doesn't push you in Itumami. He doesn't push you in Harry Potter. He doesn't push you in Children of Men at all. And and that subtlety to his filmmaking and his writing is just like it gives me goosebumps. Like I have goosebumps right now thinking yeah. about as a movie lover, as somebody who loves to talk about this and loves to be sitting across from Jake right now talking about freaking um, Alfonso Cuaron. Like Gravity is, even though it's not my number one, is pinnacle filmmaking yeah. sheesh Great. yeah so that's my number two love it and you know if you ever want to watch it with me yeah come on over yeah <laughs> do I do uh, two and yeah, one now then go two and one do okay. it so my number two is Harry, Harry Potter. Potter yeah you knew I, well I knew at this point Did I, you? I really felt I just felt like you knew I wasn't gonna give Harry Potter like the best I ever. didn't okay. not compare to all these other no. ones and I, and I love Harry Potter right I have nothing but love for you putting it at number two, but I was like, man, if he has it at number yeah. one, no, and has Children of Men at three, and has the other one that's coming that we just talked about, <laughs> you know, at number two, and has Itumama at four, and Roma at five, like it feels like you put it at one, and that just feels like 
you can't do it because it, it's still constrained somewhat by the genre. Exactly. Yes, and no, so, maybe? Yeah, constrained by the genre, constrained by, uh, as well as it's emulated, still constrained by the lack of Lubeski, I think. Yeah, um, as well as it's emulated. Man, yeah. I'm still astounded by that when I think about it. Often. Yeah. Um, and so, and of course, yeah, he had to, it's, it was a huge franchise thing, right? So he had to do certain things, yeah. uh, probably a certain way, but the amount of style that he does give it for a Harry Potter movie is insane. It's incredible. He changed it. He changed the franchise. The entire, the entire thing. I don't know. I, who knows if David Yates would have gone on to do his same, like, you know, his successful thing. Doing the last four or three. Yeah. Three. I think four. Six, I think seven, he did five seven. through eight. Oh, he did five too. Yeah. Uh-huh. But, uh, still just Alfonso just changed the game with that. Maybe even I'm, who's to say what what all the reverberations of that were? You know, I feel like that really opened the door for the this idea that too for the kids. They're the acting like a lot is way better. better, and just yeah, the the darkness. I feel like just kind of like helped give us this. Okay, I mean Harry Potter books are they're essentially children's books. I mean as they go on, sure they become more, I guess, young adulty. But the idea that you can adapt, uh that kind of novel that's where you see the first two they're so whimsical but to go to like you said this uh it's this connection of like oh we can actually go to a a darker place but it's still family friendly right yeah yeah and so i love that um it it looks so different than the other ones (laughs) uh it looks amazing um offense meant to the first two on that right and there's and it brings a sense of realism it just does not feel like this kind of like you know propped up fake magic world it feel it does the thing that the harry potter books do all along which is ground it in our own reality which is why i think those that those stories are so successful in the first place right is yeah. a it, it ties it to our our real world and makes everyone feel like they could be part of the wizarding world of harry potter and so he he did wonders for that franchise so thanks yeah. alfonso oh i love that it's number two on your list even though yeah. i had it at five and like uh, it's just the it's, it just shows what respect you have yeah. for him as a filmmaker. I do, and mm-hmm. I and I and maybe I shouldn't, but I am bringing into impact into it, right? And I'll I'll always admit I do. I'm susceptible, pretty susceptible to nostalgia, which I have sure. a lot of with this movie. Right? Yeah, yeah. So, there it is. And I, then your number one. Oh right. <laughs> we've talked about both of our number ones already because they're not yeah. the same. So, but you add on to what I said, and I'll add on to what you okay, said. Okay, yeah, I'll add on. But I mean, and Chad said it all beautifully about gravity already, but. Man, and I'm I'm a, a staunch defender of gravity because you do see comments like, "Oh, that was like a you know gimmick for theaters and nothing else," and it's like, "No, excuse me, <laughs> ask excuse ask me. anyone else out there to make this story, and you're gonna have tons of quick cuts. You're gonna it's not gonna look like it's in space. Really, it's gonna look like fake movie space. Yeah. It's uh, you're gonna get a cheesy flashback with the sun thing, right? Yeah. Rather than just some nice subtle conversations about it." And uh, you're going to have the person saving her at the end because, heaven forbid, we let the story arc be complete at a nice place, you know, uh, and instead have to force on this, oh, you know, the audience needs to actually know that she's okay. It's yeah. They said thematically they even wanted clear. to put, like, helicopter sounds, and he said no. no. It's thematically yeah. clear that she's okay. That's the point. Ugh. Okay. Yeah, um, agreed 100%. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm yelling at these yeah. hypothetical people. I'm with people. you. No, I'm with uh, you. Yeah, shut up, hypothetical people. Yeah, yeah 100%. Uh, so just wow. I, I looked up the number today, which we may have shared before on the podcast, but the the average action movie has 3,000 shots. Gravity has 156. Wow. Um, which is amazing. I mean, yeah, I think you brought up something like that before. I love uh-huh. that. I forgot about um, that. And so, I'm, and yeah, I'd be interested to know that just 
that number for all of Quaron's movies since he yeah. does the long takes so much, yeah. which I love. Um, but yeah, yeah Gravity that, score yeah. is amazing. Chad mentioned the sound design. Yeah, the score won an Oscar. Oh, did it win? Yeah, okay, it good. won. Uh, I love the emotional beats of the score. I also love how uh, I, I show this featurette um, in in my home class on about sound design. How because you know they have the challenge of things don't make sound in space or whatever the science is, right? Yeah. And so they do this thing where it's like you hear what they would feel like they're hearing because of what they're touching and basically and like the vibrations they're feeling but it's not the over you have things like exploding and you don't hear the full force of the explosion when it's outside in space right uh yet they also use the score i think in a lot of places i've noticed they use the score to make it feel like you're hearing things but it's actually like music they're using and they kind of blur the line and it's just it's so good um and so wow like it's it's the kind of movie that that gets me all snobbed up and i uh, i truly <laughs> that's what we should call the podcast <laughs> snobbed, snobbed up. up uh and so it truly it honestly frustrates me sometimes when i hear people just dismiss it because it's, as a gimmick it's you should oh watch it gosh. on the biggest screen you can and with the best sound you can but that does not mean that's all that movie is like it's it works in any setting uh, in my opinion like chad said the script is way better than people give it credit for. Much better than people give it credit for. And I was just thinking about the scene after they finally cut, after the first, like, 12-minute scene. Mm-hmm. She's, like, flipping through space, and she's trying to see. And Lubeski and Quaron bring us into her helmet. And yes. you hear her breathing, and then it's just on her eyes. And then you see what she sees as yeah. she's trying to... Oh, my gosh. You get, I was thinking that, too. How are you doing this? I mean, like, and I know when I say that, I have a sense of how they did it. But what I mean is you watch it and you feel like, how are you doing this? Yes. And I love that. Like that sense of mm-hmm. I'm seeing something I'm never going to see again in yeah. the service of still a very good movie saying a lot of interesting things subtly. That's, that's where it's at, right? That's the intersection of pop and, yeah. and um, indie or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pop and culture. Yeah. Um, okay. oh, I love it. Gravity, fantastic. My number two, your number one. My number one is Children of Men. And Jake said some great things about it, and you've heard me say a lot of things about it. Um, Children of Men has astounding camera work. I still think Lubezki got robbed that year. So do a lot of people. Wait, yeah, how did he not win? What did he lose to? Pan's Labyrinth, which is really well shot. I know, I know. It's like one of those things where you go, but not the same kind. But not. It's It's a different thing. Yes, it's it's a totally different thing. But you brought it up when I was letting you talk, and I was like, I'm not going to jump in. Uh Um, But. The, the idea that you watch it and you think like, oh yeah, this is, could be a movie that was shot today and we'd still be astounded by yeah. what he's doing. Mm-hmm. Um, there's these great takes where we're moving through this dystopian society and it's super long and we're walking or we're running and there's such a reality to what's around you and yet they're moving from building to building to building and you're like, how did the production designers do this? And then they're in this building and there's a, a pretty transcendent moment where he's walking and everybody's kind of paying attention to him because of who he's with and stuff and that is like this transcendent moment of just like oh and I when I watched it the first time watched it with my sister and my wife and we talked afterwards about how my favorite ending in all movies is an ending that is not 100% happy and but it's like a melancholy moment that finds hope and I, Children of Men is the quintessential example for me. Like, mm-hmm. there's a great happiness to the end, and there's a, 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 an implication that most things are going to be okay. But there's also a lot of sadness in the moment. And for me to finish watching Children of Men, which is bleak, 
you know, and this dystopian society they present is very sad. Mm -hmm. And there's selfishness going on and there's, there's a, like, um, oh shoot, what's the word I'm looking for? There's poverty and, and there's decay. That's what I was looking for. There's poverty and there's decay. But at the end you feel like, but, but we're human and we're still going to do this. And I get astounded when I watch children of men, like, how did you do this? Like, mm -hmm. I feel the melancholy. I feel the sadness. The production design suggests to me this society that is falling apart. And yet you're able at the end to still bring me this great sense of hope, like, shut up. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. that scene where Julianne Moore dies, which we already said earlier, sorry. sorry. They built this rig so that the, the seats go up and down so the camera could uh -huh. whirl around in the car. And it's like incredible and there's such an urgency to that scene and everyone's outside of the car and they're trying to get in and you you see people getting hit and people are dying and like it's one of the most immediate scenes i especially when i saw it the first time i had ever seen um and then you have these other kind of elegiac moments at other times and like you talked about when it gets actiony the action still looks great and still they pull it off really well but then it will just transition so easily into these other kind of poetic moments of what's going on in this society. And there's these quiet moments where he's talking to Michael Caine. And Michael Caine is like way. super like, funny, super but also really weird and fun and cool and like odd. Yeah. And then you have this relationship in the background of him and Julianne Moore and like the, the kid that they lost. That again, no flashbacks, no in-depth discussion. It just kind of like touches what's going on and kind of like fuels what this mission that he goes on. Yeah. And there are these scenes that just feel so realistic where they're trying to escape and they have to kind of rig things to escape. And, um, Ooh, yeah. Ooh, that, like... The, the car? The car down the Oh, hall. my gosh. Yeah. And it's, like, scary. It is. And really it's well done. Uh, yeah, yeah. And then... But then, again, I just have to circle back to the end. And then it ends and I'm always just, like, I have hope for humanity. Yeah. And, like, we will help each other and we will find the joy that we need to find even in the midst of everything falling apart. And that message is always important. And right. so it just always resonates with me when I watch Children of Men. Yeah. Loved it. Man, he's a good filmmaker. He is. Yeah, fun to talk about. Can, we just ended on such a good note, but I really meant to include this specific compliment. Uh, but in that, the uh, iconic car scene, yeah. right? The Julianne scene. Yeah. Uh, Whose name is Julianne in the movie. Oh, yeah. Um, I forgot. Yeah. Uh, and also a specific bus scene later, I noticed I felt specifically like I was on a theme park ride, which was like just this weirdly specific uh, feeling that those scenes gave me because they were so thrillingly done. And uh -huh. the, like just the perspective that uh, Lubeski gives you yeah. where you feel like you're there. It's like amazing. Yeah. That's the thing that Emmanuel Lubeski does so well is just like gives you a perspective you don't expect. Yeah. or shows you something in a way that you never thought you'd see it, but that somehow magnifies the emotion. Mm -hmm. And you're just like, how'd you know? How? I mean, I know that sounds stupid, but you're like, how did you know this was the exact right yeah. way to do that thing for everyone to be astounded? Right. You know, he went on after Gravity to make Birdman and The Revenant with um, Inyaritu. They Which do very, look so similar. They have a very, like, kind of... Uh, potent collaboration as well, mm -hmm. but I still I still feel like it's second to what Cuaron and Lubeski have done because theirs has been for so long. Yeah. Even though Birdman and The Revenant, in some ways, are like the culmination, especially that that in uh, Native American scene fight uh, mm -hmm. uh, attack at the beginning of The Revenant, which is just astounding is. in what he does. Um, but um, I almost felt a bitterness towards Inari too after watching all these Cuaron movies because I'm just like. 
you still that was win. their thing. But... I know, I know. <laughs> I, I feel that same way. So Alfonso Cuaron, we'd love to hear what you think. We'd love to hear, especially if you went and experienced some of these movies that you hadn't seen and had a good or bad experience. Yeah. You know, tweet at at Rogo Tours, or you can tweet at me at C Durham ninety nine. Um, and then uh, you can on Facebook uh, Rogo Tours, and yeah, that's about it. That's about right? it, right? Yeah. All right. Thanks a lot, Alfonso Cuaron, one of the greatest filmmakers of our generation. He is. Yeah. Watch him. <laughs> <Bye>. See ya. <laughs>